starting with a poem tonight. And I think as I share it, you'll see its relevance to what we've been talking about, praying about, what God's been engaging us with. It was written in about 1600 by a guy called George, George Herbert. It's called Love. Anybody know this poem? Okay, let's do it. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be here. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. It's cool. Just captures something of love's initiative. And the love in that poem is spelled with a capital L. We know that the author of love, the personification, the origin of love is God. God the creator, Jesus Christ, who came, initiated everything for us to take us out of our smallness take us out of our brokenness take us out of our own damage our own past and elevate us if you've been around for the past few weeks we've been working through ephesians and we've seen the progress of how god has done that how he unwraps this thing for us how we were in the mire and he lifts us up says you're now seated with christ in the heavenlies it's an incredible thing how we, our response is to hold back, to say, I'm not worthy of this. So that really is the essence of what I want to share tonight about love's advance, about our response, about what we do with that. Are we ready to step out? Are we ready to let love take us? Are we ready to believe what love says? The key scripture for tonight, and you can turn there if you've got your Bibles, in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 8 to 10. As you do that, <clears throat> I'm going to pray for us. Father, we come to you tonight. Lord, we are a real people. We don't have lofty ideas about ourselves lord those things don't carry more than a projection to the world more than a glossy magazine more than a a nice little write-up about somebody when we look in the mirror when we look at ourselves we know who we are and it's that real person lord that tonight we want to in reality come and engage with you we want to come and not be limited through what we see not be limited through our own opinion of ourselves. We want to come and take a hold of your opinion of us. We want to come and take a hold of what love has spoken over us. We want to come and take a hold of the worthiness that you have given us. That we can step out, that we can, that we can embrace both ourselves and the mission that you have for us. Pray that you'd work in our hearts, Lord. Amen.
So let's have a read. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. I'm going to read out the NIV. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's an incredible scripture. There's a few things that you see in there. You see how grace is the very thing that saves us. Grace is the thing that pays the full price for us. It says there's nothing you've done. There's absolutely nothing. There's no, no boasting. Nobody can put their hand up and say, hey, you know, I was only two. I was this good. We can't do it. We can't do it. Whatever place we're in, however great, whatever our good works are, when we stand before the cross, we're alike, completely barren completely powerless, completely unworthy. From the best to the worst, from Mahatma Gandhi and Mother Teresa through to the squatters in the squatter camp, through to the rich guy on the corner, the guy who's abusing and, and misusing his laborers maybe. Everybody, we're all alike. We're all alike. To Adolf Hitler. Let's put him out there. We're all in the same boat. And yet grace comes and does the full work for us. It's incredible. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And we read then how he goes on and says that we are his handiwork. We his, now the tra- most translations say workmanship. We are his handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to skip over to another uh, passage. You don't have to go there. You can if you like, but it, keep your finger in Ephesians 2. S- Psalm 139. I'm going to read to you first from the message, from verse 13. Now the message it's a, a modern-day translation or, or paraphrase. Eugene Peterson went all the way back to the original manuscripts. But what he's got for us is something that's so alive, so vibrant, so full of passion and life. You can't read it the way you do King James. King James, you can read, Lord, thou hast made me in my mother's womb. Wonderful are your works. You can sort of read it, what, what, oh God, jolly good show with an English accent, but you can't do it with the message. That's why I love the message. So he says, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. Listen to their content. Listen to the content. Make it personal for yourselves. I worship in adoration. What a creation talking about ourselves, saying that back to God, looking at myself, saying, wow. Hey, when else did we do that? You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I had even lived one day. This is God. He's the one who inspired. He's the one who gave this insight. He's the one who wants us to know this stuff and live in this stuff. I'm going to read it to you in the NIV, maybe more familiar to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. We see how it's God's intentionality, how he's foreplanned, foreworked everything out and shaped us according to that plan. There's no coincidence. There's no migration from pond scum to the specimen that we are today. Sorry, it's God's intention. However you think he did it, it was God's intention. He planned every detail, planned every detail of our lives, the days before us. It's his will, it's his design. So why is that so important? Why is it so important? There's two things which, which are held in tension here. You might say, but you know what? Who I am and what I am, that's not important. It's all about God. And yes, that's true. But held in tension with that, I believe, unless we know who we are, unless we're willing to believe what He says about us, unless we're willing to let love have us and have its work in and through us, we're not able to stand up, embrace love, and step into what He wants for us. We can't. There's something of legitimacy that comes through knowing who we are. It's like a, a child who doesn't know their father's love. They can go through the motions. They can go to the best schools. The truth is they're going to wither. They don't know their mom, their dad's love. They will wither. They will wilt. But you've got a kid who knows he is loved. He can face an army. He can face the bully at school. He can go through anything. There's a sense of security. It's the same when you're married with my wife. If I know that my wife's on my side, I know that she thinks I'm the man, she loves me, I can stand up to just about anything. Life's good. And that's how it is. So God wants us to come first and foremost into that sense of legitimacy from Him. It's what He says over us. It's who He says we are. I think it's so important. Let's look again at Ephesians uh, 2 verse 10. Just on verse 10. He says this, For we are God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The message version says, He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does, the good work He has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So there's two elements to that. The second element is that there's this work for us to do, and we're going to get to that. The first thing that comes is that we are His handiwork or His workmanship. The Greek word for that pronunciation uh, just goes away from me, but it's something like poma. We get our word poem from that. It means masterpiece. It's, it's like a, a sculpture or a work of art or a poem, something beautiful that he's created. And that's an interesting thought. Firstly, we read in that that it's, it's again, it's his opinion. It's God's opinion. It's what he thinks of me. He says, I, you are my handiwork. I've made you the way that you are for the purpose I have for you, I've put you together. And you know, it could be a, a good exercise to look in the mirror sometimes and to realize and to say to yourself, you are God's idea. He decided to put you together. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, this color hair, this height, not so happy with that, not happy with my weight. Why am I not as talented as that guy? I don't speak as well as that guy. I don't play soccer as well as that guy. And so we're dismissing ourselves. We are underrating ourselves. I'm not as spiritual as I should be. I don't read my Bible as much as I should. And so we disqualify ourselves the whole time. But actually, he says to us, his word over us is, 
You are my masterpiece. I've sculpted you. I've chosen you. I've made you the way that you are for my purpose. Our opinion in the matter is just an opinion. An opinion is subjective. It's not truth. It's not fact. When God expresses an opinion, when he says something, it is immutable truth. It is absolute truth. And it's that that we need to exchange our opinion for his. So this masterpiece, this poem, it's all different. You take art. I don't know if there's any art connoisseurs and lovers here. Anybody? Man in the check shirt. Got all the answers tonight. All the, thank you. <laughs> so glad you're here. So there's different kinds of art. I don't know what they are. You could probably help me, but I know that some of the words I know is like there's impressionistic and there's Renaissance art. There's modern art that I don't have a clue about. So I think it's what my kids do most of the time. Under the age of three, not, not now. My younger son, he still does modern art. <laughs> got to excuse my... But you see, I don't have an appreciation for that. And, and yet, we've got all these expressions and we have different tastes. But it's all good. It's all this creativity that makes so much richer experience. We're all this unique blend coming together. So let's take poems. I had some fun just putting together some poems. We've read the one. Now maybe that poem, great content, but maybe you're saying, you know what, that isn't really my kind of poetry. Maybe you're more of a romantic, like Elizabeth Barrett Browning. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. Some of you are saying, Ah, you're right there. Or maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you, you're more of a redhead, Scottish. Are you Scottish, Gabe? Must be be some Scottish in your blood. Passionate. And uh, if you read Robert Burns, I'm afraid when you've got a poem that half the spelling is is not really English spelling, and it's got words that are that are spelled A E in most of the words. You can't you can't really say that in English accent. You've got to try and pull it off in Scots, so, so we're going to go for it. It says, A fond kiss, and then we sever. A farewell, alas, forever. Deep in heart-wrung tears I'll pledge thee. Warring sighs and groans I'll wage thee. Who shall say that fortune grieves him while the star of hope she leaves him? Me, nay, cheerful, twinkling lights me. Dark despair round benights me. I'll ne'er blame my partial fancy. Nothing could resist my Nancy. <laughs> well, cut there. Just you can feel that stirring. I don't know. I've got a bit of Scottish in me. I used to have red hair hanging on to some of those roots. Or maybe it's more like a Lord of the Rings kind of funny funk. Samwise Gamgee. I love this. I love the poetry in Lord of the Rings. So he's, he, he wrote this poem, or at least uh, Tolkien wrote it, but he had the privilege of saying it. Troll sat alone on the seat of stone and munched and mumbled a bare old bone. For many a year he had gnawed it near, for meat was hard to come by, done by, gum by. In a cave in the hills he dwelt alone, and meat was hard to come by. Up came Tom with his big boots on, said he to Troll, pray what is yon? For it looks like the shin of my uncle, no, uncle Tim. It should be lying in the graveyard, caveyard. Paveyard. This many a year has Tim been gone, and I thought he was lying in the graveyard. My lad said, Troll, this bone I stole. But what be bones that lie in a hole? 
Thine uncle was dead as a lump of lead afore I found his shin bone, tin bone, skin bone. He can spare a share for a poor old troll, for he don't need his shin bone. So it goes on. Love it. Well, you got the, uh, the poet laureate, the British poet laureate, who is Carol Ann Duffy. And she wrote a thing called Valentine. Totally different trick. More modern. Not a red rose or a satin heart. I give you an onion. It is a moon wrapped in brown paper. It promises light, like the careful undressing of love. Here, it will blind you with tears, like a lover. It will make your reflection a wobbling photo of grief. I am trying to be truthful. Not a cute card or a kissogram. I give you an onion. Its fierce kiss will stay on your lips, possessive and faithful as we are, for as long as we are. Take it. Its platinum loops shrink to a wedding ring, if you like. Lethal. Its scent will cling to your fingers, cling to your knife. How's that? Okay, and I have to read my favorite. Lewis Carroll, the master of poetry. Twas brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves and the mome rares outgrave. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that snatch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the furious bandersnatch. Hey, So who's, who's kind of poem is that one? Hey. Okay, we got some votes for Jabberwock. Valentine, hands up. Who's, who relates? Who says I'm more of a Valentine kind of masterpiece? Uh, I don't know, hey? Or the Stone Troll? Stone Troll? Lord of the Rings? Okay, we got some takers for that. And, uh, and what about uh, Robert Burns? Where are the Scots here? Robert Burns. Yeah, we got some Robert Burns people. Okay, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Oh, no. Come on, let's see it, ladies, men, everybody. No one's willing. Okay, and then obviously George, George Herbert stands alone. A lot of our uh, poems that we have today is in musical form. It's uh, uh, one of my favorite poets is Bono. You too. I'm not going to go there. We've got enough poetry. I had one prepared specially for you. I thought after today, Mark, I just call to say I love you. Go on, who's that, bud? Who is that? Who is that? Uh, he was at a loss this morning. Can somebody help him? Stevie Wonder. Does it ring a bell, bud? <laughs> no, he wasn't dancing in the ceiling. Oh, well, that's good. So there's, there's these poems, and we all have these different expressions. We're all different in ourselves. We can identify with different things, but they're masterpieces. they creative in, ingenuity. It's incredible. And that is something of who we are. Second part of that brings us to purpose. We're these incredible masterpieces, and he says that he has created us for good works. He has a purpose in mind. There's something of us only getting into fulfillment in life when we know what our purpose is and when we can step into it. We feel something of being worthwhile. I don't know what you're like. If I'm on holiday for about three weeks, I get to about 10 days of doing nothing, and I start to feel restless. I start to feel like I've got to do something meaningful. Now, the truth is that uh, most of my problem probably is that I, I'm just too single-track-minded, too focused on doing some kind of work, which might be my job back at home, all the chores at home that are calling me, endless list, but there's other work to be done. The work 
And it's expensive. We're going to get more into that now. It's expensive, the work. When God says he has good works for us, it's expensive. Some of the best work is going to happen on holiday. It's going to be the work of deepening relationships with my wife, with my kids, with God. Okay, so there's work to be done. And there's this fulfillment to unpack. There's this purpose to discover. If this is a a new thought to you, or maybe it's been a thought for a while and you're thinking, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? What is it all about? The good news is that when God shaped us and He made us this masterpiece and He knitted us together, what He wants for us to do is generally not something alien. It's not something weird and scary and we got our wonderful life we're enjoying and this is something horrid and I'm just like, I don't want to do that. It's not that way. He's put in us a desire to do what He's made us to do. We read in Psalm 37.4, He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Incredible thing. As we delight ourselves in him, as we get to know him, his opinion of us, we step into more of who he is. Our desires become his desires. His desires become our desires. And it becomes this wonderful partnership. I want to read a a section from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, incredible prophet. And this is what God says over him says before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations incredible thing we see how God forms he sets apart he appoints and then we see secondly that very same element that same theme his doubt his sense of inadequacy alas sovereign lords I said I do not know how to speak I'm too young disqualifies himself. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar in our story. Sounds familiar with Moses. I can't speak. Think about Gideon. I'm the least of everybody. I'm a worm. Why you come to me? But the Lord said to me, I do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I'm with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. And we see God's action. We see his partnership, his assistance. We see his vigilance for us to step into what he has for us, to take a hold of it. He doesn't just say, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just wait for you. Maybe one day you'll grow up and you'll get it. He's passionate to engage with us and to see us engage with the task. And that's the exciting thing. If you look at Romans 8.28, it's a very familiar verse. It says, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. What? Read just before that. Works everything to our good. Works everything to our good. But that purpose is intrinsically wrapped up in that. He, it's intrinsically wrapped up in our life. He will work stuff to us. He'll work it so that we can have fulfilling and full purpose. We can live out what He's put us here to do. It's an exciting, it's an amazing thing when we start to partner with the living God. We start to take on what He says. We start to believe what He says. We start to step into what He's called us to. We take a hold of what He's placed in us. It's incredible. What He has placed in you, each of you, it is remarkable. I don't know any of you in depth like I know my wife. After 20 years of marriage, it's 20 years in this coming week, 
I feel like I'm only just starting to know her. It's amazing. It's taken that long. Thanks, guys. It's taken that long to unpack. You're right. It's more well done to my wife. She's in the mom's room, in the toddler's room back there. Amazing woman. Amazing woman. Love her so much. But I'm only just starting to, to get to know her, and it's, it's amazing. She is incredible. And I can tell you that each of you have this incredible mix, this gifting, these talents, this strengths, insight, whatever it might be. You're going to each have a unique blend. It's going to make you uniquely you. And that's the very thing that God wants. We've got a funny concept when we talk about work. He's created good works for us. The concept work, sometimes we think that, oh, that's the curse. We think about songs like Gary Moore. Monday, I've got Friday on my mind. I'm going to have fun in the city. Just got to get through the, get through the week. It's, just, it's the grindstone. It's whatever you want to call it, whatever metaphors you have for it. But that's not true. The truth is that work was put into place before the curse. It was put into place before sin. It's part of God's gift. God's gift. He gave Adam and Eve a gift. He said, name the animals. Take dominion. Rule over this place. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's an exciting adventure alongside with me. So it's not a curse. It's a wonderful gift as we step out and do that. So what I want to encourage you in finality is this. I want you to believe it. Not just with your head, with your hearts, with your feet, with your actions. I want you to believe it. I talk to myself as well, to meditate on it, to meditate on these truths, to live it. To do it without apology. Be you. Live the fullness of who you are without apology, without holding back, without feeling like I have to make excuse for who I am. We're not talking about being inconsiderate of others. We're not talking about being rude. That, those are the ways that we express who we are. And those are things we learn and we grow in. People like me have to learn it in their 30s. <laughs> Hopefully, my kids will learn it in their before 10. I can vouch for my bigger girls. They did. So it's something that we learn we need to step out and be that thing. Be the masterpiece that God called you to be. Get alongside the master maker, the sculptor, and change your world with him. Can we pray together? Father, we want to come and acknowledge that you are the master. You are the incredible creator. And when we acknowledge that, we believe that, when we believe your word, we have to acknowledge that we are the incredible creation. But we are. Tonight we say that we are your masterpiece. We are your incredible creation. And you have made us well. You have made us good. You have incredible purposes for us, good works. And we want to step into them. So tonight we undertake to step into the fullness of what you have for us. We undertake to move forward with you. Lord, we want to be set free from the stuff that holds us back, our disqualifications, the stuff that stops us. Each day, Lord, we want to come, we want to take a hold of your qualification, we want to come and take a hold of what love has done, set us free. We want to come and step into everything you have for us.
love you, Lord. Amen.